0: He tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Hi, I'm Jen Howriegal. Welcome to the Sportsman of the Year: a Suburban Philosophy. Just a warning before we get started, some of the language can get a bit tough at times. I am from West Auckland after all. And we also talk about some stuff you might find upsetting, and some stuff you will hopefully find funny. So take care of yourselves, okay? At Rangeview Intermediate, every student had to get up in assembly and do a Bible reading, even though we were a secular public school. It was compulsory, and you could not get out of it. I loathed the idea of my turn like getting ready to bathe with rats, and when I finally got the call up, I was petrified that I would make a fool of myself. I had a runny nose and couldn't stop sniffing, and even though I had a handkerchief, I wasn't very deft at using it. I stumbled along the lines in the book and nothing made sense while the paragraph seemed to be never-ending. While concentrating on mouthing the words into the microphone, my nose ran and a long string of snot dripped out and down and fell towards the pages. I panicked and snipped hard so the green slime swung like a pendulum bouncing from side to side before it plopped back into my nostril. At this point, I think I actually died in front of 400 or so 11 to 13-year-olds. It was so painfully humiliating that I froze. And for a long time, I didn't want to go near a stage again. Sometimes when we were sitting around the table having dinner, I like to tell my kids funny horror stories which happened to me when I was growing up. I tell them tales of humiliation, disappointment and rejection because it makes me laugh when I see their mortified faces. And yes, this probably makes me a dreadful mother, but there is method in my badness. What I am hoping when I tell these yarns is that it will help them understand that experiences which you think will ruin your life forever are actually just a series of lessons which will in turn become tiny blips on the landscape of your personal history. On the way making you stronger and more resilient. I own all of these stories now with pride, when once I couldn't speak of them. My reaction to rejection or humiliation used to be catastrophic. I would lock myself in a room of despair, unable to function or focus for days, and the lines I was telling myself over and over were, I'm not good enough, or this is what I deserve because I'm a bad person. While immobilised, I would watch TV, endlessly flicking through the channels, not really seeing anything. It was like my enthusiasm was motionless, and there was no reason to get up and go and do anything. I felt like I was a blank, with no features, waiting for someone to tell me what to do or for something to happen. These were long and torturous days, and I'm glad they don't happen anymore. I likened these periods to being on ice and waiting to thaw. Knockbacks, rejections, mistakes and stumbles that are put in our way simply refine who we are and make us better at what we do. None of these hard luck, embarrassing or disappointing stories stop me from getting to where I am today. And I have also concluded that if it was all too easy, then it is likely the inevitable blows and troughs that we face on a daily basis would be harder to bear because we wouldn't have been able to practice for them or draw from the wisdom that learning from our mistakes gave us. The worst gig ever tested this philosophy, though. It was 1995, and my second solo album, Tremble, had just been released. My record company, Warner Music, was sending me to a gig at a conference of international industry VIPs. This gig was supposed to propel my career into its next phase, but it ended up being one of the biggest flops I've ever had in my life. I was very proud of the Tremble album and was thoroughly convinced that everyone at that convention already loved it too. And when they saw me play live, they would know just what a great live performer I was and all else would be plain sailing from there on in. It was all so easy and I was living the dream. On the flight with me from Melbourne that morning were Wayne Bell drums and Martin Nightingale guitar. Warwick Factor, AKA Hornby, bass guitar, was flying in from Sydney later that day, and we were a little concerned that he might be too late for a sound check, but we figured that it would be all right on the night, and hey, Lady Luck was in the room. The hotel was amazing. As I entered the lobby, I felt like I was walking into some sort of romance novel. Gentle fans waved at the guests as we walked across the cool marble floors fine white linen greeted us in our rooms. The view from mine was a beautiful sandy beach stretching for as far as the eye could see. It was still early in the day, so I decided to go for a swim. There were several pools and one of them was full of colourful tropical fish, so I got in that one. I had been told by someone that the fish kept dying and had to be replenished every few days. So I did feel a little guilty every time one swam past me. After my swim, still feeling great, I headed back to the hotel room to start focusing on getting ready for the sound check. Then the phone rang. It was my dear friend calling from New Zealand with some sad news. My darling dog Doreau had been run over on State Highway one and my friend's mum had found her rather gruesome remains in a clearing down a hill. That dog had accompanied me on many tours. She was a first class BFD best friend dog, and even though she was a mongrel and everyone said she was really smelly, I always thought she was a star. When I put the phone down, I cried my eyes out in my beautiful room and I made a decision to never have another dog in my life ever again. After I stopped crying, I made a call to a guy I was sort of seeing but not really. Yes, one of those it's complicated stories. I was looking for some comfort, but before I got to the part about the dog, he told me he was seeing someone else. It was serious and we were just friends. Here I was thinking he was the great love of my life and he just wasn't that into me. So that was the end of that. I also decided at that point to never have another man in my life ever again either. Two cruel blows in one afternoon. So there was nothing else for it really. I was in a beautiful room with a gorgeous view and a minibar. So I took it for a stroll. Four o'clock, it was time for a sound check. I was a little bit drunk. As expected, Warwick Hornby was going to miss it, but then we were informed his plane was late and he might not even make it in time for the show. A couple of frantic calls back and forth to the airline and we found out that he would arrive on time, but only with five minutes to spare, so unfortunately we wouldn't have time for a quick rehearsal. Okay, so all was not lost, but I don't know if anyone realised that the singer, yep, me, was in a bit of a dark place, not coping with the death of her dog, a prize dumping and a few too many G&Ts. Warwick came running in with his gear and set up just as we were about to go on. The first song of the night was called Snare and starts with me singing an unaccompanied line. Sorry but I can't bear to be in the same room with you longer as I was singing this line, I could see all the expectant faces in the audience, smiling and focused, and willing me to have a great gig. There were loads of the New Zealand Warners team out there, and they were really happy and excited. So I might have not chosen the best song to start the gig with. Like to see me the whole band kicked in and then boom! Martin Nightingale looked dismayed, His amp had blown a fuse or something and it wasn't working. We had to stand around like chumps while the equipment was fixed. 29 or so minutes later, we were back in action and we attempted the first song again. We got to the end of the song and I introduced the band and myself, but I couldn't just say, hi, it's great to be here, could I? No, I went on to say... Just so you all know, my dog was run over, squished on the side of the road, and I don't expect any of you to understand, but it sucks and I'm really bummed out. That certainly went a long way to cheering everyone up and creating a great vibe. We headed into the second song, Moons on Fire. Because Tremble had a lot of orchestration and wiggy sounds, we decided to use backing tracks to enhance the live sound. The piece of equipment we used to play these backing tracks was called a DAT machine and it was supposed to be infallible. Wayne Bell pressed the go button and nothing happened. He kept on pressing go and nothing kept on happening. Because we hadn't expected the DAT player to stop working, we hadn't prepared for this eventuality, so there were some holes in the arrangements of the songs. They would have worked just fine without the DAT, but by this stage everyone was really thrown, and so we played a very loose set with me raving on like a loon about how life sucked, how rotten boys are, and what a miserable sod I was. The folks from Warner Music New Zealand and Australia we were really hoping we would do a super show, but when that looked highly unlikely, some of them started faux stage diving to try and ramp up the energy. But it was too late. The gig had turned to custard. There are moments in showbiz when you realise you've lost your audience. It's when eye contact disappears and the energy they were sending your way starts to fragment and dilute. Everyone starts turning away, talking to their neighbour, squirming uncomfortably in a chair and looking anywhere as long as it isn't at you. This really wasn't the day to be having one of those moments. When we were finished, all we got was a smattering of mild, polite, sad applause and that was it. We were done, like really done or as Wayne Bell said in a book about rock and roll touring stories. And that was the end of Jan in Australia. I have always thought of those poor fish in that swimming pool as a metaphor for my experience that day. I swam around in a flashball for a few hours... And then I got replaced when I died on stage. That was the night I started thinking that perhaps the road to fame and glory was littered with dead fish, and I was now one of them. It was then I started yearning to go home and sign up for a day job. We went straight to the hotel bar. Wayne and Warwick both asked for a whiskey, a single or a double? The bartender asked, a bottle. Spoke, so serene This is the most beautiful thing I have ever seen. This episode of Sportsman of the Year was written and performed by me, Jan Hal Justin Gregory was the producer and the engineer was Jana Witter. Tim Watkin is the executive producer. You can get the book Sportsman of the Year, a Suburban Philosophy, which comes with a high-resolution download, or you can get the CD too at my website, janhellregal.com, or at record stores and bookshops who are stocking Sportsman of the Year. Ask them for it. You can subscribe to Sportsman of the Year at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Radio Public, and, of course, rnz.co.nz forward slash series. Please give us a rating. More people find out about us that way. Thanks for coming along. Enjoy.